Welcome back, everyone, to Out of the Main. John, we are coming uh, up to the home stretch here of season three of our little Yacht Rock podcast, aren't we? Yeah, and I think I know the perfect way to kind of climax. You know, you, you like to peak late, right? That true. Fourth quarter is the time to peak, and we're doing that right now. Yeah, there's pills for that now. But um, Ooh, yes, ouch. so uh, we are. But interesting bookend because we started this uh, season talking about when Yacht Rock died in its you know initial incarnation the sounds yeah. that kind of pushed it aside and the whole reason for this podcast from the beginning was discovering new bands and new music and as well as old new music that we were finding for back in the 70s and 80s and really early on you and i discovered two i would think of the primary torchbearers uh fire keepers one of mm-hmm. course we already interviewed which was state cows and the right. other one has to be our guest for today none other than young gun silver fox uh please welcome everyone the young gun andy platts i think i have this right in the silver fox sean lee welcome gentlemen hello yeah <laughs> all right i don't know see people get us confused because i am the young gun of this particular podcast you can tell of by course. looking at me so uh yes <laughs> and i'm silver but the other part remains to be determined so yes <laughs> so welcome gentlemen yeah yeah good to have you good to be here man yes so you are here technically all the way from the uk and uh you guys have a new album out it's new relatively new uh ticket to shangri-la that dropped when that was 20, 21st of October, I think. So still fresh, still new. Um, and are you guys playing? You guys are, you have some tour dates coming up, right? European tour dates? That's correct. We're playing uh, in December in Holland. And uh, are we in Belgium as well, Andy? Holland and Belgium, yeah. And then uh, we've got the UK happening in January, February. Some more Europe. Uh but the big thing we're trying to wrestle with at the moment is actually getting across the pond uh, into the States for next year. Uh, we're looking at March for that, but watch this space. So, um, but yeah, that's, we, we've been trying to make this happen for a while and it, it feels right now with this record to be, to be hitting stateside. Definitely. Definitely. What would he, um, a tour, a stage presentation of Young Gun Silver Fox look like? How many other members are you putting around you? And what will your primary instruments be? We still have a little bit of confusion as to who does what all the time. So that's going to be part of uh, what we want to try to uncover today, too. <laughs> well, yeah, well, well, live, you know, it's been the same from the start. You know, I, um, I sing and I play the Fender Rhodes and uh, Sean stands and plays electric guitar. <laughs> oh, all right. <laughs> and then there's bass and drums and quite often a horn section. Yeah. And then we're f- we're flanked by palm trees either side on the stage as well. So um Yeah, yeah. Yachty. What do the palm trees play? Anything? Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> they play it cool, man. You can feel had a question there was something in the um the press release that was sent to us and it's one of the questions i kind of ponder myself a lot when i'm making my own music but also i wonder how an artist goes about approaching this you mentioned that now you've over a period of your first few albums you've established what is the sound quote of young gun silver fox and it really was a new thing even though it pays so much homage to the 70s and 80s you guys did a very modern twist on it so you carved out a very specific space then the question becomes how do you evolve from there without so each ensuing album doesn't sound like a regurgitation of the previous but also you're not stretching so far that people buy the album and go okay this isn't at all what i expected how do you stay fresh with what you're making but also stay connected to what you were that's a very good question um i don't think there's an easy answer to that but i i like to think that uh records should be a, a logical progression you know, from one to the other, you know, they, they pick up where the last one ended and, and hopefully they, they visit some, you find some kind of new spots to go, you know what I mean? You keep uh, evolving and keep things interesting for yourself. And, um, you know, I don't know. I mean, uh, I also think too, it's about songs, man. You know, it's about songs. And so it's about the quality of, of that and the songs need what the songs need. You know what I mean? You, you, uh, 
treat it like that a lot of times. So I don't know, man. It's um, if it feels good, do it. <laughs> I want to go back to the uh, original when you guys first got together because this kind of is a variation of the same question. So you guys, I understand, met on MySpace. Is that correct? Guilty. Wow. We should explain to the kids that MySpace is what Facebook was before Facebook. <laughs> oh my gosh. But maybe yeah. I should explain Facebook is what Instagram, Snapchat, and uh, TikTok were. Uh, who knows? Yeah. Um, so you guys meet on MySpace and you guys strike up something of a, a friendship. And then at some point you decide you're going to collaborate. I'm curious, your first album, West End Coast, you obviously, it's very decided, purposeful. We're going to do this sort of as John said, a modern take on the old West coast sound. How did you guys come to that? And uh, tongue in cheek, you know, the two different generations, how did you guys both meet and say, yeah, that's the music we want to do. Well, I, I think Andy always says that, you know, it was kind of, um, you know, me that sort of hatched this plan. Um, it just, when I kind of actually worked with Andy in the studio, I just kind of realized that, that he was the, uh, he was the missing puzzle piece. I just thought he was the, he, he was the, you know, the, the perfect kind of partner to, to do this music. And so, um, I just thought we would naturally do it, you know? Um, and, uh, I wanted to do it and I think we wanted to work together. And so this just seemed to be like a great vehicle, you know, musically to explore. And, um, you know, we just, you know, we just eventually, you know, found, started to find some time and started to do it. And I mean, the rest was, was just a, you know, it just took us time, but uh, we got there, you know. If I can just expand, expand on that as well, just because uh, it's obviously, it's different from where I'm sitting. Sean spearheaded this thing that was very much in his blood, you know, this, this music, whatever you want to call it, however you want to term it, is, is deep in his roots. It's, you know, he, he, he grew up listening to it on the radio at the time that it was all coming out, you know. Um, I didn't, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm 40, maybe 44, and Sean's got, yeah, about 20 years on me, just under 20 years. Um, so when Sean came to me to, to, to start doing this thing, I probably knew, like, the most obvious uh, tunes of that kind of genre, you know, the real obvious stuff. Um you know what what a fool believes that kind of level of level of no- notoriety um but it wasn't until we actually started making records that we began to forge our own thing um partly because it was obvious what needed to be done from my end to build on what Sean was writing but also because it was a bit of an awakening for me you know it, it was a real journey of discovery and so that really fed my interpretation of what this West Coast, West Coast music was and what it was to be for for Young Gun Silver Fox. So, um, yeah, a brilliant rabbit hole that I'm just never, ever going to get out of, I don't think. Well, I was started to say, Andy, that uh, so I discovered Mama's Gun after I had discovered Young Gun Silver Fox. But I, I hear a similar homage to music from a, an earlier time period to me, not quite Yacht Rock or West Coast, maybe earlier soul or something how would you describe your approach to that project yeah so <clears throat> you know mama's gun is a five-piece band um i i tend to write you know the songs for it but the production and the arrangements that you hear go on the record that you hear live that that's born out of five people and that kind of melting pot with me and sean it's just the two of us and we're responsible for everything we play everything we write everything you know um and yeah mama's gun is a bit is that more classic soul, 60s, 70s soul influence? It's got like the rough edges, whereas Young Gun Silver Fox is like a it's a sucked candy piece of candy. It's like smooth, no, no edges, man. But those those are the two kind of vehicles. But they they do cross over a little bit, maybe in like the, the use of harmony and stuff, but I do feel like they inhabit very different worlds. With Mama's Gun, I write soul music and soul songs. With Young Gun Silver Fox, it's the huge like classic pop music chasm that exists there. And you can go, you can go from the real R and B side of it to the more kind of more rock uh, oriented stuff. It's so vast. And that's why I love doing it. Well, you mentioned earlier uh, that when you get in the studio together quote, and then also I've read in some of the liner notes or in the press stuff that a lot of this stuff now is done sort of remotely where you're going 
back and forth. So you're not always necessarily working up ideas in the studio at the same time. I was curious going in, knowing that the two of you both, like you say, uh, between the two of you cover everything that's on these records. What does sort of the song process look like? Is there a pattern that it sort of takes? One guy starts with this, that, and or is it is it completely a, a, across the board? Or is there kind of a way that you've figured out a good process? I, for I, I'll answer that. It, it's just two different ways, generally speaking. One way is um, I I write like some instrumental tracks, which kind of sound like a record with uh, no vocals on it, and I pass that over to Andy. And then he writes the melodies and the lyrics and sings on top of them and plays a couple extra instruments sometimes and he sends them back to me. And then that's usually about, uh, I guess it's usually about 60 albums like that. And then like the other kind of four tunes out of 10 will be these songs that Andy, he starts them, he writes the songs, he, he plays what he plays on them. And then he sends that over to me and I sort of play on them and mix them and put finishing touches and fill a couple of holes wherever they might be. And that's generally how the albums are. You know, it's, there's, there's like, you know, um, yeah, kind of, it's usually about six tunes to four tunes, generally speaking. But, you know, um, that, that's the kind of process. And every album's been like that pretty much. I will say every album for me as a listener and a fan, I was thinking of this as I was, I spent the entire weekend basically listening to all your records over and over again. Um, and every time I listen to a new album of yours, I'm like, this is my favorite young gun silver Fox album. And then I put here the next album, I'm like, no, this is the favorite one. And so um, they're all equally good to your point. I think like you evolve somehow you master what John was posing as a question to you evolution without changing your sound. And so I love the way that this first record opens, John. And so maybe we could give people a taste of the very first track. I don't know if this is the first track you guys worked on together, uh, but it's the first track on the record and it's called still got it going on. Now, there's some snarly guitar in that, and there is some aggressive horns. This feels like you've added something new to the mix. Even though you've touched on these things in earlier records, this one feels particularly like you let a little more grime into the mix, into the feel. Kind of makes you do that stink face a little bit, like, yeah, that's funky, you know? Yeah. Interesting to uh, have such a long intro before a vocal comes in, you know? Normally, I'd be like, that's usually not the way you want to go. You Like, you want to get into it quick you know what i mean because people have a short attention span but i don't know there's something it's a big showbiz intro that song and it, i guess it felt like the beginning of, a, of the album it feels like the beginning of a live show it just sort of sets things up but we haven't really done that song you know it's got a different kind of feel you know that sort of halftime shuffle it's a big tune, man. It's got some unexpected syncopation in it, too. Or when you think you've got it figured out, you're like, no, not quite. Honorable mention to uh, Nickel Thompson, who's the trombonist uh, who does, who tends to write all the horn arrangements for us. So he his fingerprints are all over that in the writing as well. It's got to it's got to be said. Yeah, completely. I had a question about that. So has that been the case throughout your four albums? Because as I was listening this weekend, I'm hearing, sometimes I feel like I'm hearing the Chicago horns, and sometimes I feel like I'm hearing the Jerry Hay, you know, syncopated horns. But is he always doing the arrangements? Yeah, he he, he didn't work on the first record, but yeah, the, all the other ones, yes. And he, I, he, is a, he is a big, uh, he, you know, as a bone player, he, he's a big fan of uh, James Pankow. From Chicago. That's what I hear. He's a big fan. Yeah. Obviously, Sea Wind Horns. He's a super big fan of uh, them. And, um, you know, I mean, they're actually uh, Tom and Nickel, the guys that play on the record, they're, they're actually playing Jerry's horn arrangements now. Like for Jerry. Like Jerry's like using them to, to be the Sea Wind Horns. <laughs> really? Yeah, because they're so good. Like Jerry's like I mean, there's there's a wicked uh, comment that Nickel sent me that from Jerry Hay about um, about um, about the song, you know, I still got it going on. And Jerry's comment is, 
that's what horns are supposed to sound like. <laughs> oh, wow. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so you can't beat that, really. That would be framed in hanging above my, <laughs> yeah. my every wall so you can always see it. <laughs> yeah, right. Is there a, um, since we're on process and we're living in an age where uh, a, a lot of that retro gear, as you mentioned, the Fender Rhodes and all that stuff still exists and is around us, but we also have all these virtual versions of things. I don't know if you want to give any secrets away, but is there some sort of law or creed you live by that you have to use X amount of original stuff or are you VSTs you're fine with? Is there some way that you kind of work that stuff in intentionally, the classic instrumentation? Andy, you want to, you, you want to take a bit of that? Yeah, I think on you can do, you can decline too. Oh, no, no, that's cool. I mean, it, <laughs> this is all interesting, and I think it's interesting for people making music in in twenty 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 two as well. I think on the front end of things, we are quite traditional, quite quite purist about it. You know, an analog signal path. So we're playing real instruments and we're micing them up, and we're playing whole parts, uh, and everything that's going being recorded is is as it would have been back in the day, you know, um, and that's where the musicality and that's where the sound of the music is right. And that's where you get the arrangements right. Um, but we have no qualms about recording digitally. We've got no qualms about, you know, using plugins and stuff to mix. I mean, all, all the mixes are digital mixes, um, but it's very much the essence of what you hear is born in the analog domain and it's born in the writing and it's born in the quality that we're putting in before it hits a converter. Uh, that's, it must be said. Um, of course, mixing ad adds a significant amount of polish and elevation to it and stuff. Uh, and uh, a lot of those mix, uh, those secrets are in the, the mix engineer's head as well. Pierre Duplain, who's, who's uh, mixed everything we've ever done with, with Sean. Um, so that that gives you a few answers to to that question. Yeah, I mean, it, uh, I, yeah, exactly what Andy said. I mean, you know, it's all about the um, what you put, you know, what you record, what you play, what you write, the arrangement, the range, and using using the right instrument of choice. That's a proper thing. Um, and in and, and yeah, I guess we would be a purist about that, but. It, you know, we do, uh, you know, obviously got no problems with using plugins and stuff like that, you know, um, and editing things and, and, and whatever. Uh, you know, it's, it's a hybrid approach, but I think it's very much about the music. And I don't think you want, you don't want to start, you know, using like VSTs of a Rhodes or, you know, you don't want to like, you don't, you don't, you don't, you know what I mean? You just got to like keep it real. You just got to keep it real. And, use like hard as much hardware as possible and put as much um humanity into it you know what i mean it needs to be real um and then you use you use the technology you know in, instead of getting used by technology it's about making it do what you want it to do and uh, having sort of analog ears you know and having those sensibilities you, you can you can get the analog out of the digital world, you know what I mean? But I would never want to be like totally purist about, you know, recording only to tape and only, I mean, it just gets ridiculous after a while. But I think, yeah, I think you know, instruments, the right instrument for the right job is really important in the right part. And um, yeah, that's, that's the music right there. Speaking of the right instrument, um, I get all of my information from Twitter because that's just what a smart person does. But I saw uh, a tweet from J.D. Riznar a long time ago. I think one or both of you got interviewed for his forthcoming book about Yacht Rock. Right. The thing that all that I remember from the tweet is that he said both of you own a Fender Rhodes. Is that true? True. Yeah, true. Uh, very cool. Andy's Rhodes is Andy's Rhodes. And my Rhodes is my Rhodes. And they're not, they're not the same. Even if they were the same... Even if they're both the same model, yeah, they, they wouldn't, wouldn't be the same. same. They're right. all different. They're all different. You know, I mean, the E Rhodes was a special Rhodes, but then there's just something lame about people using the same thing. It's just something. There's just something about, you know, if it sounds good, it sounds good. You know what I mean? And there's that. And screw anything else. You know what I mean? But the whole idea of everybody using 
the same thing. Just yeah. that seems a little bit cheap and nasty. I, I, great, you know, use it if you want, but I, I, I got no interest in that, you know. Um, you know what I mean? It just doesn't serve a purpose, you know. I mean, there's these weird things because with certain instruments, you just don't. You don't like. Oh, hey, I'm gonna use a, I'm gonna use this microphone, but I'm gonna use a, I'm gonna use a, a you know, a plugin that makes it sound like a U forty seven. Yeah, right. You know, or whatever. He's just like, no. It, with guitars, it's like, you know, with modeling and stuff like that. It just can't go there, man. It's like you got to use the right thing. It's kind of like if it needs to be a strat, then it's a strat. If it needs to be a three thirty five, it needs to be three thirty five. You use that. And it's the same with drums. It's kind of like if you're playing drums, it's kind of like, you know, you got to like choose the right snare and the right cymbals and play them right and the tuning and the dampening. And and so it's just got to be like unilateral. It's kind of like with the keyboards. It's kind of like even though, you know, analog keyboards are moody, moody as hell, you know, <laughs> yeah. and they go out of tune and they're a pain in the butt. But you know what I mean? Sometimes, you know, they give you something a little bit funky and you got to deal with it. And so it forces you into a direction and you have to compensate somehow and pivot. And those those are the things that make things different or how it's slightly out of tune. And then maybe you have to like process it a bit more to be more out of tune, to be more. Into so it sounds it. intentional, right? Yeah. Yeah. You know what I mean? If everything's perfect and predictable, then you tend to get a per perfect and predictable result, you know, chaos theory. True. Yeah. Well, I think we got your answer, John, about purity. Definitely. I know. Uh, I get, yeah. Boy, does that give me a lot to think about? Yeah. And see, that's why these guys are on the Rushmore of modern yacht rock because the standard is so <laughs> high with, with what you're doing. It's so impressive. The standard is so high to begin with. So straight from the get go, you know, it was like, oh man, if you're even going to try to do this, it's like we gotta like aim for the moon, man. You we gotta like really uh, you know, we've gotta like try to to meet the standard. So we started off trying to do that and feeling like that I, I mean, I don't know about Andy, but I, mean, I felt like it was really incredibly hot, such a high you know, standard to reach for that I didn't know if if I you know, I, I thought I was gonna really have to try hard to even get close to it. You know, so for me, it was a revelation just to to realize it. I think when we got into the second album, I realized that we were doing it. Mm. <laughs> I was like, wait a minute, we can do this. We're actually. It's a two headed beast. There's there's trying to there's trying to live up to the very best of what has gone before. You know, th th that very best of the whatever is late 70s, early 80s period of, of what we're talking about here. That on its own is a tall order. But then there's your own beast that you need to feed, you know, your own desire to improve. Me me and Sean are, you know, fucking self-flagellating desire to just get better and better and better. We're, we're massively, you know, fanatically interest, interested in the record-making process and about songwriting as, as a start. But we just want to improve, improve exponentially. Um, it would be really sad if if you peaked out on your first record and then it just died like a whimper. We feel we feel like we've you know it happens you know but we feel like it's uh, this natural evolution natural progression is is it's it's just felt right the whole way you know and it, it does come down to songs as well a lot of what we're talking about you know you make the most impeccably produced recorded album without a single memorable tune on it and it's going in the, it's going in the trash do you know what i mean um it's it's got to be partnered with really good writing so that's where we shine a light totally i think andy too interestingly enough uh i think andy's really obsessed about uh his vocal chain because he's constantly like changing his vocal chain and trying to find like the magic signal path and and like every you know, it's it's always changing. You know, uh, so there's a, definitely a pursuit. You know, to like try to find the right, right, the, the elusive, perfect uh, thing. You know, yeah. For each song, I must add, no, not like a one chain for for everything. 
it's just it's about identifying the right stuff like you saying the right tool for the job you know what i mean to that point what i also noticed about your vocal is that it perfectly at home up in the falsetto as well as down in the deeper sort of you know chest voice register so how how do you explore what the right tool is for that job um is it just a feel thing like are you when you're writing is it like all right this needs to go here and i'm gonna be up here or is it later as the song evolves you just kind of find your literally finding your voice no i'm a victim of my own aspirations i think i always write shit that's just way too high for me to sing (laughs) kind of all right fuck the song sounds great in this key i gotta live with it so uh that's where it ends up going but um no i'm comfortable reaching you know high high notes with the falsetto and and the chest voice but it's all about the emotion really what what does the line want what does the story want um that's that's what directs you as well as the kind of timbre of the music and the and the you know even a chord voicing can alter how you're going to sing determines how you fit in the piece um so there's there's you know the boring answer is there's, there's no one way uh, there's no one process to it. Yeah, and hats off, as you said earlier, to the mixing engineer, because I was going to say earlier, because I've been intentionally listening, listening, like Tom said, so it's been more of a headphones listen lately. And uh, the vocal mix, the blend, and the way that the, the stereo is used, I urge everybody to give a headphone listen to this stuff, because it just wraps around you so beautifully, and your vocals will go from this big like group unison falsetto and then they'll break into harmonies and you just feel like you've got this wonderful space around you when you're listening on headphones. Yeah, but by background vocals in terms of Young Gun Silver Fox, it's it's a pretty big feature. Um, that you know that ties in nicely with with music of that era, but you know it's you got so much at your disposal with vocals. Just the dynamic range, the timbre, um, the, the the way it pairs with the lyric at a certain time, syncopation. It's it's like an orchestra of sounds ready to go, and if you can use it wild, wisely, it adds such a and another interesting color to the music. And I think. Um, you know, I'm always trying different stuff with vocals. I love doing the kind of MJ thing where you're tracking up one note, you're there, then you move back two two feet, then you move back three feet, five feet, turn up the gain, jump on a different mic, thinking it that way, or or just super tight, you know, one one double trackers. It's whatever the line needs. Uh, but Sean and Pierre, to their credit, know how to take what I've done and elevate it again. Are you, you know? engineering your own recordings, your your vocals, uh, or? Yeah, I engineer everything I record here. Does that get really tedious to have to do both when you've got, I mean, the vocals is a lot of work. No, it's just, I'm interested in it, man. I'm interested in it as much as anything else. So I want it to be best, best version of this idea or best version. You know, that's all I care about. I only care about it being best. So I haven't got time to to kind of be pissed off about it, you know. (laughs) I'll be pissed off if I sing it shit, but. Uh, and that you know, and that's that's where it should be, you know. Yeah, I think Andy's a really good uh, engineer. I think just generally speaking, he's really good. He's really good in the studio, man. He's really got his shit together. You know what I mean? And so it's kind of like, uh, I mean, I think on the one hand, it kind of looks like, you know, you know, Andy's doing a lot more than I think people know. Like his skill set is really like um, it's really big. It's really big, you know. And it's and it's an interesting skill set as well. You know what I mean? So he's 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 a polymath. Absolutely. You know? Well, um, so Ticket to Shangri La just dropped. It's is now my current favorite Young Gun Silver Fox uh, album <laughs> yeah, until the next one comes out. Um, well, I was reading something. <laughs> I, I the, think I got, oh, I got the vinyl no. here of West End Coast. So. Oh, that's my favorite. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. Sean, I think it was something that you either said or, or wrote in another interview. There was a certain song, um, I think, that Andy sent you as you were recording this record that really stood out at you. As you're like, oh, this is special. This is the tune. Do you remember which one that was? Yeah. Yeah, Sierra Nights. Sierra Nights.
what was it about that song that just caught you instantaneously? Well, I mean, it it, it was so, um, you know, it was like, uh, it was almost like, you know, somebody reached their hand out to you and grabbed it, threw you straight into a roller coaster and went down the biggest thing. And you were, you were like, whoa, you know what I mean? It took you someplace else, but instantly it was, it was such a, uh, it was a shock. It was a shock. I mean, like when it came on, I was just like, holy shit, you know, like I hadn't heard that before. That's, it was just, it was different, but it was instant and it was, you know, it was magical and, and evocative and, and, uh, it really did sounds um, on first listen before I put anything on it. It sounded like a record, you know, it was almost like, um, okay, you know, how am I going to, you know, what am I going to do to make this better? Even though I knew that I would, and that's, you know, that's at that point, that's my job to do that. And I love, I actually love that. Um, um, I, you know, when you when you start something yourself and you, you're responsible for every note and every layer of it, it's really cool to get something where somebody else has done that. And then you have to find your space in it and find how you can take what somebody else has done and elevate that and sometimes do that with, with hardly d- actually doing very much. And I actually love that, man, because it's such a different way of of working. Um, but, uh, yeah, that song just blew me away. It, and it still does. It's like um, I, I'm learning it now, you know, and it's kind of like I'm still like, um, you know, I'm just still uh, I'm still in love with it. And it's still it's such it's such a beautifully written song. And um, it's it's so special, that song, man. I, I just um, I can't wait to, to, to play it live. I think it's going to be magical. Well, it'd be magical when we, when we play it well. <laughs> yeah. Magical. Yeah, man. So, Andy, what was the inspiration for that tune? Uh, I mean, obviously it left a mark on Sean. What was it about that song? Well, the, the genesis of the song was um, reading the novel Don Quixote, um, which is, you know, everyone had lots of time to do shit across those two years. So I read a stupidly big novel, which took me about three months. But it's just the sound of me trying to write the song of the book. Uh, you know, these two characters wandering around uh, rural Spain, surrounded by mountains and violence and their love for each other. Um, that's what fueled, fueled it. You know, I, I really was trying to just create this, this space, this thing that was like born in its own egg sack. <laughs> <laughs> And it and it never left. Do you know what I mean? It's just it's it's on its own. It's birthed and it'll it'll die there as well. And then it won't die because it's a fucking song. But it's I don't know. Yeah, I was just trying to distill something. Um, and I think the whole Canyon kind of Crosby, Stills, Nash vibe partnered really well with that. Uh, and a bit of the kind of steely down thing in there for as sure. Well. well, originally 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 did have a piano kind of doing that bass line along with it, and it just sounded. Way too much, like um, Ricky don't lose that Ricky number. Lose yeah, that number. <laughs> yeah. Well, real quick on uh, Don Quixote. Um, I don't know if you're familiar with the band Toad the Wet Sprocket, but they had an album yeah. out in the '90s called Dulcinea. Right. Oh. And there's a song on that called Windmills. There so you if you want to go listen to Windmills, you can see how Glenn Phillips was also. We well, all see wind, Windmills of the Mind is, is based on that, isn't it? As well, the Bacharach thing. Yeah. Ah, yep. Well, I had one more. I had one more quick question, Tom. If I can fit this one in, that so you you've done now uh, we're four albums in. It's been roughly every two years. The what'll happen now? Will you sort of clear the decks and start fresh once you get to the point where you are going to make a next album, or does is this like a constant ongoing process where you've got songs that carry over? Or is it better for you to just say, okay, we're going to cut it off here and start totally fresh? at whatever period down the road. It's a weird, it's a weird combo of the two. I think there, there are songs written from previous eras and sessions that have ended up on later albums. Definitely. But, but in parallel with that, that there is always a bit of a right new record, you know, let's, let's maybe talk about a couple of things we might want to focus on doing on this record. We might not have that discussion, but there's definitely always a sense of right turning a corner, 
it's new time but yeah you can't create now or in the future without looking at back in the past I, I don't think you that you know you can't do that so it's always relevant what you've done and that sometimes includes songs that haven't been used or have been fully developed or fully written you know there's there's a song called rolling back on the on the new album That, that chorus progression, I've had that for like three years. So I, thought I had that before the third album, Canyons, and it wasn't. It didn't know what it wanted to be, and I wasn't gonna. I wasn't gonna rush it. I was like, just, 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 just let it bubble up when it does, because you know the cream will rise to the surface in the end. So. But I know Sean's got some take on this as well. <clears throat> yeah, I mean, I think uh, for me, there's always that. Um, once once an album comes out we start to promote it and play gigs and all that and you do that for a while and you know you know you work on other things as well you go off and do some other directions for me there's always a pullback to young gun silver fox like i need to be doing this music because it's there's something it's there's something like really special about it and it's a great place to go you know it's just um it fulfills me on a lot of different levels so uh, you know, I, I I have to go back in there and start digging in the dirt again, and and um, and like you know, you know, birthing tracks and seeing where they go. Um, I think at the point that we're at now, four albums in, and I think particularly with this last one as well, there was a lot of thought about the lineage of records. Once you get into it a bit, and you have a catalog, then you have you have to think about like, you know, connecting these things, and you know. What have we not done? What, you know, and, and you start to like think about, you know, the, how you play stuff live too and, you know, what fits into the set, you know what I mean? And so you try to like, try to find tunes. And so you, you know, you, you think about all these things before you make something because you want to make something that like adds to the story and fits with what you've already done, but also, you know, some sort of progression forward with the music. Uh, that keeps you into it. And so this is sort of, you, you have to consider all these different things when you're doing it. And then I start doing it. And sometimes it's kind of like, you know, some of the tunes that I did for, you know, the, the instrumentals I made for this record, you know, that they didn't have songs written against them. And I don't think, I mean, I don't think Andy will write over them in the future. I think they're just like, you know, they're just, you know, you know, things that are, that are in there, but you know, because I, I think we both prefer to move forward. But like sometimes those tunes, they were—I wouldn't say they were exercises, but they were like they were. I was giving myself opportunities to, to explore certain ideas or certain angles, and like getting my chops together on them. You know what I mean? And maybe, maybe, it, maybe it takes you know two or three goes at something to like get something it's like yeah that's the one you know what i mean and that's that a lot of that comes down to andy you know i send him the things i do and he gravitates towards the things that he gravitates towards you know what i mean but i i think i also think about andy's voice more now uh than i did before maybe you know because i want to make something that that accommodates a song more rather than something that's like makes it difficult for him to ride over, even though I think that sometimes forces him into a direction, which is interesting. But I, I kind of like, I think we both, we kind of know each other more as well. So I think it's more simpatico. We're better at doing it now. And, we're, and we want to be better at doing it. So, you know, I think, that's just the way that it goes, you know? Yeah, cool. Well, this everyone's got to go out and get this record. This is out on vinyl, correct? We can get, yeah. take it to Shaker yeah. Lion vinyl and CD, I'm assuming. And, uh, of course, yep. you can spin it everywhere. Yep. But all four, seriously, guys, all four records are my favorite. Yep. So yep. all equally good. No drop off from one to the next. Uh, kind of leaves a high bar for the next one. But I'm sure you guys are up to it. Yes, sir. Yeah. <laughs> I ain't worried about it, man. We got to like, just do what we do. Just have fun. And do yeah, it, yeah. Good, do it. Good, as, do it as good as we can do it. 
do and, it in um, the states because we need to see some tour dates over here. Yeah, yeah, man. What's, it's gonna happen. Get Detroit out of the calendar. Yeah, man. Yeah, it's happening. It's happening. Cool. Well, thanks a lot. Uh, thanks a lot, guys, for coming on. Uh, best of luck to you, and hopefully, we'll do it again sometime. All right. Cheers, guys. Yeah. All right. Thanks for having us, man. Well, it was good to finally get a chance to talk to those guys. I mean, we've had them on our uh, horizon thing, ding, uh, for, for almost from the beginning. Pretty much. I mean, once we discovered them, it was like that. That changed a lot of things for me because it gave a perspective on what quality modern yacht rock might sound like. Because I still think that State Cows, the other torchbearer uh, or firekeeper that you mentioned, they're doing more of the the classic sound kind of like what I'm doing. So this is, uh, is good to, to get to talk to these guys. It's funny with that in mind, them being sort of more the modern approach, how, uh, uh, determined they are to only use the vintage gear and vintage process. Yes. And, uh, I was going to mention, I didn't want to come across as too much of a fanboy though, but how like polished and almost, you know, I guess you use the term modern, but it just seems so, it comes out so well done. You swear they're using these uh, virtual instruments and stuff, you know? That's what I would have thought too, particularly the drums. I know that um, Sean plays drums, but it, it does. It sounds like there's a certain amount of um, studio trickery going on to make it sound so present, you know? Yeah. Yep. Well, and you mentioned state cows, and I almost brought this up as well. So since they're gone now, I will bring this up. Um, you mentioned the Mount Rushmore yeah. of modern yacht. I think if you have four spots, you'd still only have two bands because you got to have Sean Lee, Andy Platts, right? <laughs> and then probably Daniel Anderson and Stefan Olofsson from state cows. And that's the four. Hey, that works for me. I'm fine yeah. with that. Yeah. All right. Cool. Well, uh, it might not be Modern Yacht Mondays wherever you are, but uh, it is here. So, in, including my lightning round. Shall we hit it? Hit it. All right. That was a very modern sounding lightning crash, too. <laughs> well, it just <laughs> happened like just a second ago. Right. Yeah. Um, okay. Well, I've got a poser for you for the Does It Float Your Boat section. All right. We talked about the song. Well, let me ask you this. Okay. Are you aware that Young Gun Silver Fox has been rated on the Yatsky scale? I am aware that they have been. I did not look it up, so I don't even know which song it would be. Okay. Or songs. Uh, I would say, you know, just based on the date, that it was 2016. So it had to be only, quote unquote, the hit back then, which okay. was You Can Feel It. Now, the score on the Yatsky scale ended up being a 50. Hmm. So, here I am, allowing you to cast the deciding vote in Maricopa County. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> well, you have to give me a couple of weeks. Yeah, I have. All right. Oh, yeah. Do Does that float your particular boat? Love, love the song. And I'm as torn on whether it's Yacht Rock or in that I don't even want to say Laurel Canyon because that's not quite what it sounds like to me it sounds like it lives in the Fleetwood Mac area and I'm going to be hedging here because 50 is a perfect score for that I think it lives exactly on that line technically 50 is in so maybe I would be 49.75 I don't know if if that's the, Mm. the smallest increment you do is a quarter point but I feel that it's more of that breezy West Coast than actually Yacht Rock, but only by the tiniest of hairs. Yes. I'm with you. Like, so at uh, back in 2016, when this came out, I would have said, oh, my God, this is such a modern Yacht Rock right, sound. Right. But back then, I was incorporating all that West Coast smooth that isn't technically Yacht. So um, I thought you were going to say the perfect score is 50, because I think the perfect score is 50, which is what the composite was. Uh, Hunter was 51, which is kind of where I'd put it. Okay. Like, Barely in, but mm-hmm. I don't, no, I don't know. I, I'm hedging <laughs> now because I think you're right. Now that I think about it, I think, oh, well, let's move on. I know how much you hate to... saying that. Okay. Well, now that you've said yeah. it, it is there. It is uh, for posterity and posterior. Okay. Now, mine is a similar question, but almost coming at it from the opposite end. So uh, I wanted to find something Speaking that I could. Speaking of posteriors. Right. Uh, yeah. I wanted to find a song that maybe I could pose to you sort of the same question. 
um, because it is float your boat. And I've been chastised in the past, uh, been forced to walk the plank when I'm not following the, the uh, proper rules here. So I am going to go with the float your boat question. Uh, this song comes from probably more of the soul side, not quite the funkiness of Mama's Gun, but it's definitely coming from the soul side. And uh, uh, this is from the new album. From the beginning, I'm going to play the intro because the intro sets up with, uh, they sound like sea wind horns and it's got the classic yacht rock uh, bass line. So it's kind of a one yacht wonder or one bar wonder. But I'm going to let you then sort of chew on the whole song and tell me whether this is a yacht rock song or is this just a nice soft soul song. And the, the track I'm talking about is from the new one, as I said, it's called Winners. Yeah, once again, I think you nailed that, too, because it right away instantaneously puts me on the yacht, and then I start uh, drifting off into the soul sounds of the maybe early 70s or something. So, But that's what makes them work, I think, is that it's not like just, hey, we're going to try to be yacht rock, come hell or high water, ding, ding. It's uh, we're going to do our little spin on it, and you can't ignore Andy Platt's spin with his roots and mama's gun. So. Uh, yeah, I think it does float my boat, despite the fact that it becomes a soul tune. Okay. Then the other question is, are you trying to render the uh, pun bell extinct? Because every time you do one, you're going ding, ding now. I just want to be in harmony with it. So. I see. Okay. Yeah. So I see like high seas, ding, ding. <laughs> oh, jeez. <laughs> All right. Let's go to the, uh, you know what else though I found is missing in terms of their stuff being yachty. Speaking of that, they don't really have much in the way of nautical references or nautical puns. So I'm really missing that in their music. Yes, but I do appreciate the West End <laughs> Coast pun. Yes, the West, there you go. I love the West End from London and the yeah. West Coast from LA. It's just perfect. So, so I guess that uh, does finally get us to the uh, buried treasure portion, right? Yep. So I'm going back to their first album here. Uh, this is the one that I feel kind of harkens back to a couple of specific songs from back in the day. And I'm just going to put it out there and I'm going to play it. And this is from the first album, as I said, and this is called Distance Between Us. Yes, I love that tune. There's some treasures uh, buried in that song, I think. Ah, that's... I was trying to figure out what the connection was. Yes, yes there are little buried treasures. Uh, little Easter eggs, if you will, perhaps. Maybe. Um, okay, good tune. I love that. That might be my favorite off the first record. Good, yeah. Um, my buried treasure, though, is in the concept of modern yacht, I think there's a group that gets overlooked... I don't think that they've had yet, anyway, the uh, volume of work that some of the stalwarts have. And I'm talking about Martin and Garp. Oh, yeah. Who you love, I know. You turned me on to them. But in case people don't know Martin and Garp, and they have been buried for you, please go seeking the treasure that is all of their catalog. But I'm going to introduce to you, Given Up on Love. So that is from the 22, uh, 2021 album called Sentimental Fools. Now that deserves a, a pun bell. Yeah, really. <laughs> of course, we don't Not normally nautical. do them for fools, do we? we maybe we need right. a new sound for that. Yeah. You know, uh, one thing I noticed listening to that is that uh, there's a really nice yet subtle blend. I don't even know if you necessarily noticed it unless you're thinking about it, but there's like keyboard bass blended with real bass, and they're almost in such a great unison that it, it is so tight. And also the synth bass sound isn't that real floppy 
sound that it blends mm-hmm. really nice. It's really tight. Very cool. Very cool. Yep. I was going to mention that actually as one of the buried treasures because they buried it enough in the mix mm-hmm. as to not make it yachty. Yeah. And uh, ABC did that on their first record, as I recall, mm-hmm. quite mm-hmm. a bit to yep. great effect. Anyways, uh, I'm getting off the map. Wait a minute. Speaking of off the map. Good time for it, right? I'm going to choose another modern yacht uh, tune here. We've managed to spend a whole whole episode talking about the new Young Gun Silver Fox album, actually speaking with the Young Gun and the Silver Fox. We still haven't mentioned my favorite tune off the record, which I think is now my favorite tune in their entire catalog. Woo! Yes. So here it is. My modern yacht off the map. Favorite jam. Simple imagination. Just think of it. Uh, I I almost picked that for my off the map for all the same reasons. I love that song. Yeah, I very think good. that was the first one to really capture my ear on this record. And then as time goes on, other ones start to you know yep. really resonate. So good pick. Thankfully, I don't have to change my off the map because I, I I actually changed it from that because I had a feeling that might have been the one you picked. The one really? that I like, yeah, that kind of goes um, well off the map for them. This is definitely got the old soul vibe. This is like an old soul ballad. To me, it sounds like um, it could have uh, maybe come off of a Tavares record. You know how much I love hmm. Tavares. It's kind of like uh, Tavares had a song called Strangers in Dark Corners. And this, uh, this one reminds me a lot of that in all the best ways. And this is from the first album again, last track, Bury the Greatness at the End. And it's called Long Way Back. Didn't I say Yeah, that song definitely evokes a certain mood, doesn't it? Yes, it's a great way to end the record, too, because it, 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 especially with that being their first record, it leaves you at the end saying, ooh, maybe there's more there that they're going to pursue down the road, which Mm. eventually they do. Yeah, absolutely. All right, well, you got anything else? Because I have a lovely surprise for you, my friend. I'm ready for a surprise. I don't know. Is Is that such a thing? Can you be? Yeah, I'm ready for a surprise. I don't. You might be ready for this one. Who knows? But you mentioned the uh, the lack of nautical references in the Young Gun Silver Fox catalog. I would say that's true. Well, here's one for you. Mm. Ahoy, polloi. What 